0: And answers. The foundation of Islam rests upon its book, the Quran, and its founder, Muhammad. Recent archaeological study now presents some serious arguments against the divine inspiration of the Quran. Recent archaeology now presents some serious evidence against a historical Muhammad. Did Muhammad actually exist? What historical evidence can Muslims present for a historical Muhammad? You're tuned to Evidence & Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's broadcast, Pat and his guest, Dr. Jay Smith, will conclude their discussion on archaeology and the Quran.
1: We are then told that Muhammad lived there, was born there in 570, and that he'd moved from there in 622 to go up to Medina. So, therefore, there should be a reference to Mecca, certainly in the 6th century and also the 7th century, right? Because 570 and 630, he lived there to to 622. It was the center of trade, according to all the traditions, north, south, east, and west everybody has believed that Mecca controlled all the commerce and this is where the Kaaba was and this is where the center of of the history is. Dr. Patricia Krone, who is considered, was considered, she just died two years ago, but when she was living, one of the greatest historians of Islam that's ever existed. She reads and writes 15 languages. Her doctorate at School of Orange and African Studies was head of department at Oxford University in Islamic studies when she decided to do some study on this on Mecca. She said, well, listen, if Mecca is so great, there must be some reference to it. Now, she went back to all the trading documents in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, up until the 7th century to look and see if she could find any reference to a city called Mecca. Couldn't find one reference at all. Wow. So then she went and looked at all the maps. Because all the maps are, you know, there's there's lots of maps from the 6th in the 7th century. couldn't find any reference to Mecca. No, there's no reference to Mecca. There's reference to Taif, just southeast of Mecca. There's reference to Yathrib, which is now Medina. There's reference to Tabuk and Khaybar and, and Nazaran. These are all famous places along the Western Plateau where the trade went. But there's no reference to Mecca at all in any on any of these maps until 900. That's the 10th century. 10th century. So the first place... That she could find a reference to Mecca is the Apocalypse of Continuata Arabica, which is from 741 A.D. Muhammad died in That's over a hundred years later that you find the first reference to Mecca. Now, okay, so let's just say they forgot to write it. Let's just say if anybody forgot to talk about it, she went to the trading documents of the of the Sassanian Empire, the, who lived in Sestafon, which is today Baghdad, and they had they came down to Yathrib and they found silver mines there that's just northeast of mecca and they write about these silver mines and they talk about Yathrib, and they talk about going down to uh, taif just south of them what about mecca not one reference to mecca in any of their writings yeah it's the center of trade why didn't no one know about this place so then patricia corona asked the question why is it if there's no mecca then you cannot have qibla because All the mosques were facing Mecca from 624 on because that was the canonization of the Qibla. And that's in the Quran as well. Chapter 2, verse 147, it says that they must change their Qibla from Jerusalem down to the Masjid al-Haram. That means the forbidden mosque. Of course, Muslims assume that's in Mecca. That's the name of the mosque there in Mecca today. So everybody assumes that's Mecca, though it's not written in the Quran that way. It just says Masjid al-Haram. So she said, well, let's take a look. And so she went and started looking finding and asking, well, let's see where the mosques are all facing. And everybody knows that none of the mosques are facing Mecca. Not one. Dan Gibson spent from 1979 to 2004, 25 years, going to 100 mosques, physically going to all the mosques. And he took coordinates. He used Jasper uh, satellites to take coordinates of all the Qiblas and found that none of the Qblas are facing Mecca. All the kiblas are facing Petra in Jordan. 600 miles further north, up until 706, that's the 8th century. Muhammad died in 632. The Qibla was canonized in 624. All the mosques are facing 706. So when is the first mosque that he could find that's facing Mecca? 727. That's over 100 years. That's over 100 years after the Qibla was canonized. Well, why are they all facing Petra? Take a look at Petra. Look and see where Petra is. What is it? It's the seat of the Nabataean kingdom. It is where all the Nabataeans go to for their temples and to die. It's a city of tombs and temples carved out of sheer rock. It's one of the great wonders of the world today. So here she goes and she looks and she realizes, and here Dan Gibson comes in. He spent his whole career doing this. He's still looking. He's now found many more mosques. He's found mosques as far away as China in Canton that are facing Petra, as far away as India, in Kerala, Cherman facing Petra, in Mm. Turkey, in Jordan, in Syria, all the mosques, they're facing Petra, and they're within two degrees off from thousands of miles away. That's how accurate they were. And when the mosques start to face Mecca in 727, when you look at all the qiblas there, they're off on an average of 4.78 degrees off, twice as in error as the Petran mosques which are much, much earlier. Now, why haven't the Muslims done this work themselves? No Muslims had dared to do this kind of work. It's all been done by Western archeologists and Western scholars like Dr. Patricia Corona, uh, Dr. Robert Hoyland, who reads and writes 18 languages. These people are linguists. They're looking at the earliest documents. Dr. Robert Hoyland was head of department at Oxford University. When Patricia Croner wrote her book on this, Mech and and the Rise of Islam, in 1987, she got death threats from Muslims and had to leave Oxford and go to Cambridge, where she was head of department. That's where I got to know her. And she helped me put together a debate in 1995. Look at the date, 1995. That was 25 years ago when I debated Dr. Jamal Badawi at Cambridge University on 10 historical problems with the Quran. That was 25 years ago. Dr. Jamal Badawi, at that time the leading authority in the English speaking world on the Quran and on the history of the Quran, could not answer one of those questions, not one and 25 years later they still don't have an answer can you then understand why islam is starting to crumble and why we are confronting and this is why i've spent 25 years on this material i will continue to the day i die this is why i got my doctorate so that i can continue to hit islam historically for a number of reasons pat because every one of these kind of questions This is called historical. This is called literary criticism. This is called redacted source. These are all questions we invented. We created these criticisms on the Bible. They were all created on the Bible. And the Bible has answered every one of these criticisms. And they are the most neutral of all criticisms. Anybody can use it. This is nothing politically. There's no political. This is as politically correct as you can get, because I'm not attacking them using Christian theology. I'm not sitting there and braiding them over the head because I disagree with her who their God is. I'm asking them simple, much more simple question. Is it true? That's all I'm asking. Is it true? When you claim that the Quran has never been changed, is that true? Can you prove it? And let me show you where you are wrong. When you say Muhammad lived in Mecca, did, was there even a Mecca at the time of Muhammad? Did he ever live there? Did anybody live there? And when the, uh, Dan Gibson went to these archaeologists, who had been Remember, Pat, you know this better than anybody else because you're an archaeologist. Whenever there is a large building being built in large in, in major cities, old cities, skyscrapers for instance, you have to dig deep into the ground to pick, put foundations in there, don't you?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: So whenever you go to London, whenever they put a large building up, they have to get permission to dig into the ground. And whenever they do, the archaeologists show up. Why? Because they're doing the job for the archaeologists, because they can dig much deeper with much bigger machines, and they can go much further, and they can get more history. And whatever they dig up, they give to the archaeologists first, and the archaeologists look for pottery, they look for shards, they look for all kinds of jewelry. They look for anything with inscriptions on it so that they can recreate the history of the city. And this happens in Athens, this happens in Rome, this happens in London, and it especially should happen. Happen in Mecca. If this is the oldest city in the history of mankind, if this is the one where Adam and Eve were sent to, if this is the city where Abraham lived in 1900 BC, there should be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pottery shards and all kinds of increments. Now, take a look at Mecca today. If you ever get a chance, go up and look and see what's happening at Mecca. They are building 62 skyscrapers. The fourth highest building in the world has now been built, looking down over the Kaaba. It's a, it's a clock tower with 45 foot across face four of them, the largest clock in the world. It's going to be they wanted to make it Meccan mean time. They want to take it away from London. From, they want to take it away from Britain and put, take it to Mecca. So all the clocks will be, start from that clock tower. It's the fourth highest building in the world. There are now six or eight buildings almost, yeah, about two-thirds of the height. These are all huge, enormous skyscrapers. When you build skyscrapers like that, you've got to dig into the sand. You've got to dig into the ground. The archaeologists have showed up. So Doc Dan Gibson was in a conference with them. He asked them, so what did you find? What did you find? And they looked at him and they said, we haven't found a thing. We haven't found a thing. There is nothing to find in Mecca. They did say that they did come across pieces of foundations for an old Ottoman fort from the 1300s, which makes sense. Of course, the Ottomans were there in 1300, 1400. Sorry. Of course, they were there. But nothing earlier than that, proving that there is no history whatsoever for for Mecca at all. And you then understand why they are now cementing all of Mecca up, and they're building all these skyscrapers. They cemented over Muhammad's house. They've cemented over Khadijah's house, his wife. They've, they're just cementing it over, and nobody is able to cut, to shout or say a thing about it because they don't want the world to know. They don't want the world to know that there is no history in Mecca. There was no Mecca at the time of Muhammad. There was no Muhammad. There is no Quran. There were no Muslims. There is no is- a religion called Islam until six. 91 and 692 60 years after muhammad's death bingo now i've said an awful lot and i know there's probably an awful lot of questions and i know you've taken up most of your time but i hope that helps you because i know you're a historian you love archaeology Mm -hmm. and this is right up your alley
2: yeah no that's fantastic you know compared to like jerusalem you know you can't start a condominium project without hitting something and Yeah. yeah there are archaeological sites all you know when you tour jerusalem or you know, other major cities in Israel, you can't go somewhere without running into some kind of historical site uh, kind of things. And that's what you would expect in Mecca.
1: You know, if it's the oldest city in history, yeah. where is it? Where is there even one object that will support that right. claim?
2: So where does this, the sacred stone, the kaba'a, where, I mean, where does that come from? <laughs>
1: the black stone. Yeah. The black stone lit was in Petra. Isn't that irony of irony? The black stone is a Nabataean stone. That's why no one wants to talk about the black stone. What in the world is it doing in the Kaaba? What in the world can you have a black stone that you kiss, which means it's idolatrous? It's a huge embarrassment for Muslims and they don't know what to do with it because it's always been there since the Kaaba was built in the 8th century. Remember Mecca was built in the 8th century or late 7th century. It had to be built because of Ibn Zubair. Ibn Zubair was the governor of Petra under Abd al-Malik's reign. And in 687, he rebels against uh, Abd al-Malik. He destroys Petra grabs the black stone, and flees down to the south. Now, whenever you flee with the black stone, you also take God's presence with you, because they were viewed by the Nabataeans, wherever the black stone is, so is God's presence. So as he fled down with the black stone, he then caused a huge disruption, because that means Petra no longer had the black stone, so Petra was no longer the sanctuary. And the pilgrims all started following Zuber down to Mecca, because he then needed an ally against the... Umayyad, so he allied himself with the Abbasids. The Abbasids were headquartered in Baghdad. What is today Baghdad? They're Persian. And so he allies himself with the Persians. He then sets up his stone there in Mecca. And remember, everything you can see, every one of the five stages of the Kach that you see today in Mecca, all exists in Petra. But much bigger. They're much bigger than they are in Mecca. This is why when you look at history, you've got to do a comparison and see that Mecca is the new Petra. So, for instance, the two mountains called Safa and Marwa that they're supposed to walk back and run back and forth between. These are the two mountains where Hagar is looking for water. Well, you go to Mecca and they're just two rocks, only about 15 to 20 feet high. Those mountains exist in Petra. They are mountains, and they are called Safa and Marwa, proving that that was the original Mecca. If you look at the sanctuary, if you look at the Kaaba itself, look at all the traditions and what they say about the dimensions of the Kaaba, and you will see that the dimensions of the Kaaba do not fit the current dimensions of the Kaaba today in Mecca. But they fit perfectly uh, with the dimensions that have now been discovered in Petra, where the Kaaba has now been discovered. Exactly the same dimensions, showing that in every if you look at the what they call the zamarats, these are the these are the towers they throw stones at there in Mecca. Those make no sense unless you go to Petra, because there you see the towers there. You can see the foundations for those towers. They're there. Those are the original Zamarats. But they've been recreated in Mecca. And look what they've done now. They've shaked, they've taken down those towers and they put buildings up instead to commemorate, to symbolize it, because they want to make sure that nobody asks questions, archaeological questions about Mecca anymore.
2: Wow. That's just absolutely stunning. Many people here are, you know, hearing this for the first time and absolutely stunned that uh, the second largest religion in the world, over a billion followers, may have... Almost 2 billion. Yeah. 1.8 billion. Wow. has a founder who...
1: Soon to surpass Christianity as the largest religion if we don't get our act together.
2: You know, and its founder may have never existed. And it's historicity its his, his historical authenticity. It's based purely fictional. It's just absolutely stunning for, for many hearing this for the first time. Uh, Jay, I guess with all these historical studies that is being done now, what do you see as the future of the religion of Islam in light of all these facts that are coming forward?
1: Well, I think that depends on us. I think right now there is a real battle happening within Christianity. We are scared to death of Islam. We have a fear of Islam and we have become so politically correct that we do not want to stand up to it. We don't want to stand against it. We are fearful for our lives. We're fearful for our our kids. If you take a look at almost every one of our missiological narratives or paradigms or models for Islam, it's all basically based only on friendship. There's only one model and that's friendship. And they preach pretty much everyone that all of our seminaries and all of our bible schools are teaching people how to come alongside muslims how to get along with them and even to the point of becoming islamic in other words how to acquiesce to them and i think that is tragic we're just playing right into islam's hands because islam that's exactly what islam wants they are a religion based on power if you have any doubt just look at the whole history of islam for the last 1400 years and look at the biography of muhammad himself how do you think he got he got his power. He got it through violence. Take a look at the Quran. There's 140, almost 150 verses of violence of what you're to do to those who stand against you. You're to kill the unbelievers, slay the unbeliever wherever you find them, besiege them, lay in wait for them with every kind of ambush. That's the sword verse in Surah 95. Kill the unbelievers until there's no more fitna, no more unbelief in the land. That's chapter 8, verse 39. Cut off the heads of the unbeliever. That's chapter 47, verse 4. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's so many verses that say exactly what they're to do to those who stand against Islam. Islam has always thrived on power. And here we are, we're acquiescing our power to them, giving them all kinds, bending over backwards to placate them. And a whole, our, our entire missionary movement, especially here in America, has become one of acquiescence. And I'm saying if that's going to happen, they're just going to come right in and take over and do what they've done historically for 1,400 years. So what we're saying is we've got to shut down Islam. We've got to confront it. We've got to do the same thing Paul did because this is exactly what Paul did. Everywhere he went, in every town he went into, in Leodicea and Cappadocia, Berea, there in Ephesus, he went right into the synagogue, he went uninvited, went right up to the Pharisees, and he confronted them with what they had done to the, uh, the Messiah, and they threw him out, they threw him into prison, they, he got beat up twice, they tried to stone him to death, and finally he got, he caused a riot in Ephesus, and he was finally killed in Rome. And if you stop and look in the early church, look at all the disciples, every one of the 12 disciples... They were all persecuted. They were all, every one of them was put into prison. They were all flogged. They were, every one of them was killed except for John. They were all hated, persecuted, Mm -hmm. put into jail, flogged, and killed except for John. Now take a look at Matthew 10 and look at the commissioning of the 12 disciples there. That is exactly what Christ said in commissioning the 12 disciples. I'm sending you out as lamb before wolves. You're going to be hated. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be thrown in jail. You're going to be flogged. You're going to be killed for my name. Every one of the disciples fulfilled their commissioning. Why in the world are we now in the 21st century going exactly against that? We do not want to be hated, so we acquiesce. We do not want to be persecuted, so therefore we change our strategy. We do not want to be put into prison, so we flee when whenever there's any persecution. And we do not want to be flogged or killed. So therefore we secure ourselves and make sure that our families are always safeguarded. This is exactly against what the gospel says this is exactly against what we see in the book of Acts and what Jesus says in Matthew 10 he continues on he says I have not come to bring peace I've come to bring the sword to set father against son and mother against daughter and then he ends off that chapter in verse 38 and he says he who is not willing to bear my cross is not worthy to be my disciple so I think it all depends on us Pat how are we going to take on Islam are we going to run away from it are we going to acquiesce to it or are we going to stand up to it and I would suggest we start we do the latter we need to stand up to Islam Islam, especially now when we have the tools to do so, especially now when we can absolutely destroy Islam historically and archaeologically, literally and also with documentary-wise. In every case, we can. We now have the. We are now in the driving seat. Why in the world are we acquiescing to Islam?
2: That's a fantastic exhortation. There, you know, it was given to us by my old mentor, there, Dr. Norman Geisler. He said. Islam was defeated over a thousand years ago, you know, militarily, but also through Aquinas intellectually. And he says the same thing here. Not only do we have to stop the threat of Islam physically, but intellectually, we must also defeat, you know, this false ideology. Exactly what you're saying here. Fantastic, Jay. Well, in order to be equipped to share this kind of information you know a lot of people say wow where can i get more information on this tell us where on the internet they can get more information but also an exciting academic program you're developing here in the united states tell us about those
1: you know everything that i've told you now is all being put up we're putting up a video i'm putting up a video almost every other day maybe every third day uh because of what's been happening Especially, we're trying to get one up as much as quick as possible on Fander Films. And that's spelled P-F-A-N-D-E-R-F-I-L-M-S. So it's it's the German spelling. It's named after Dr. Carl Fander, uh, who spells for the P-F for the, for the letter F. So P-F-A-N-D-E-R-F-I-L-M-S. Fander Films on YouTube. You can go up there and just take a look at all the videos, all of that is there to help people to get to learn this now there's an awful lot that you that that people need to learn as far as getting into an academic career so what we have done we have just we have just created the first master's program in the world on polemic polemics to islam it's called MAPI, master of arts in polemics to islam it's veritas international university there in california uh, where you where you're getting your doctorate i understand in in archaeology am Uh i correct yes Uh the same place it's the same school and we just got accredited a month ago we were the fastest they said our accreditation went through faster than any other accreditation so far we got it done in three weeks usually takes six months and i think the reason why is our syllabi is so good we have such good teachers uh there's five of us who are teaching us We, uh, we all have doctorates in this area. I'll be doing the lion's share of the teaching. Now, the great thing about this, Pat, is that this entire degree is you can do online. You don't have to leave Hawaii. Mm -hmm. You don't have to leave the Philippines. You can stay in your own home, and you do by zoom webinar it's all being done by zoom webinar you do your own readings and then of course we do the gradings. Uh, but we don't even have to be in california i'll be in pennsylvania doing all this so this is the great thing this is the new way of teaching <laughs> And there was the pandemic everybody knows now how to use zoom webinars that's <laughs> the pandemic has done one thing good and that it's forced us to start learning how to be able to communicate across the seas so it's starting on august 31st and it's a two-year program 48 credits all you need to do is go up to v Iu online and if you want me to I can send you a, a brochure I can uh, email me and I'll send you a brochure and you can send out to our uh, listeners if they want to go up to www.ves.edu VES Veritas Evangelical Seminary is what it used to be called now it's just been got its new name Veritas International University and if you want to write an email to find out more about it it's info so that's info at VES.edu so it's info at edu, and the phone number is 714-966-8500, and they'll send you a brochure with all the information, and then you can then, therefore, do everything then online from there on out.
2: Yeah, fantastic school. and. Cutting-edge technology being used by this school, and uh, it's just fantastic. And it's going to be just another great degree program taught by. It's Jason. the
1: first of its kind. No, yeah. there has been no other school in the world that's dared to even t- to dare to even teach apologetics and polemics, but we feel. This is our time. This is the time that we need to really go on the offense. At the same time, we would need to equip all of our missionaries on how to defend against Islam because there are a myriad of questions that they don't know how to answer. We have them all. We're going to get them up and running forth with them.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, fantastic school there. Veritas, you want to study under some of the top apologists of our generation, uh, like Jay Smith and Dr. Gary Habermas and Ron Rhodes and others, uh, they're there at Veritas International University, fantastic school. Well, Jay, for more information on you, where can they go?
1: Well, they don't need to go anywhere else than Fander Films because all they need to know is right there. Okay. So anything they want to do, if they want to support us, you can always you can always uh, send a letter to info at fander.uk info at uh, fander.uk, p-f-a-n-d-e-r.uk, and then they can also, if you want to support our ministry, if they want it, because I'm totally faith supported. I don't have a salary like most people. I have to go on uh, faith support. We've been doing that, my wife and I, for almost 40 years now.
2: Fantastic. Yes. Great website, uh, great YouTube videos. Uh, I'm on there all the time. And so that's great stuff by Jay Smith and, and more coming out. So Jay, Thanks for being with us here on Evidence & Answers, and I'm sure we're going to have you back many more times again. Okay. You know my number. All right. Thank you very much. God bless.
0: We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence & Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, Give them a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact them through the Evidence & Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you everything from atheism to zen buddhism, including articles and additional audio, free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. <laughs>